Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Table. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. And I'm here to talk about Chelsea today. I'm Rob Langevin from Razball.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Smokey underscore Loogie. That's L-O-O-G-Y. Hello, I'm Steve. Thanks for listening. I'm an Arsenal fan, and I run FindPubSport.com, which is a website where you can find local venues to watch live sport in the UK. All right, uh, well, up first, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Uh, with Chelsea, obviously, there's no news about suspensions or anything, but uh, what's your view of Chelsea been like this week? Uh, there's no news about suspensions yet. I mean, we, got, we, have, we, we performed well in the Capital One game. I mean, if Josie says we did okay, I guess we have to believe him because, you know, he, he speaks from behind the teeth. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on the fantasy pod yesterday, but who do you think is really going to take those reins up front? Are we going to see Falcao, Ramey, maybe even a little Kennedy action? Well, I mean, they started kind of with a three, like a three, three attackers in the Capital One game uh, with Falcao, Remy, and Kennedy. Uh, you know, for for the the EPL match, I think the reins are going to go right go to uh, Remy because I think that he's got enough uh, clout with Mourinho to be able to start in the game. And Falcao's been doing a great job coming off the bench, giving that little burst of energy late in games. All right, thanks so much, Rob. Now, Steve, I'm a little more aware of what happened in your Capital One Cup match <laughs> as it was against Tottenham. Didn't go the way I'd like, but what, what was your view from that match and what else has been going on at the club this week? Well, um, we've solved our strike problem um, with the <laughs> renaissance of one Matthew Flamini. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knew? Who knew that when that volley went in, I didn't even celebrate. I just went, "What the f- f- word?" Um, so yeah, that was a that was a bit of a surprise. Um, here's here's an interesting fact. I wonder how many Arsenal fans, if you told them that going into October, Matt Flamini will be our joint top scorer for the season. Uh, he joins Giroud, Walcott, and Owen Goal. Um, on two goals for the season for Arsenal so far, and it's nearly October, which is quite shocking. Um, but hopefully, we'll kick into gear soon. But it was, you know, it was a it was a good game um, as League Cup games go. I thought it was in it sort of ebbed and flowed uh, quite a lot. Obviously, you'll you'll cover your opinion of it later. It was a bit bitty to start with, and then Arsenal came into it, and then Spurs came into it, and then it, it's the goals kind of came with the momentum. Um, so as the momentum was shifting, that's, that's where the three goals came from, I thought. It shifted a couple of times in between. There weren't goals scored, but, but you could sort of see a goal coming in, in, in each of those three situations. Um, I thought the real turning point from, the, from when it was one all 
was when Alexis came on, actually, which is a, a measure of, of how important Arsene Wenger thought the game was and how much he didn't want it to go to extra time because obviously he'd have liked to have not had to use Alexis um, with the league game against Leicester coming up. But once he came on, it almost... Because that, that happened at a time when Spurs were sort of um, on the up and uh, Harry Kane had almost scored a fantastic goal but for some heroics on the line from Kieran Gibbs. Um, and that was just one example. But once Alexis came on, it, it looked like your midfield, uh, or Spurs midfield, I should say, sorry, Kev, um, were, it, were a bit reticent to come forward once he was on because he's the kind of player who they knew was going to, to punish them if they made a mistake. And perhaps they didn't feel quite that way um, when um, when Joel Campbell's on, for instance, who's a good player, but he's not obviously in Alexis class. Um, so it was a good game, it was an entertaining game. Once once the nerves had settled at the beginning, each team had spells uh, in charge. Um, and Arsenal just took their, uh, took, took their opportunities. It wasn't a particularly, uh, it wasn't a particularly hard-hitting London, North London derby. I've seen, I've seen harder-hitting, um, but I suppose that's kind of a symptom of it being in the League Cup as opposed to in the League or the FA Cup. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a, it was a good result on, on Woodsby Roll to Sheffield Wednesday, who beat the mighty Newcastle uh, in this round. Um, so, yeah, that was our midweek game uh, in the League Cup. Um, elsewhere, the controversy rumbled on following what happened at the weekend, of course, uh, Arsenal losing 2-0 to Chelsea, having had Gabriel sent off. Um, since then, a uh, player who should have been sent off on the day, uh, Costa, has obviously been given a three-game ban. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't change the fact that Arsenal lost that game when if he'd have been sent off when he was supposed to have been sent off, there's a very good chance the result would have been different and Gabriel wouldn't have got sent off. Um, because although I think he did deserve the red, a for getting involved in the first place and having a bit of handbags, and then for the for kind of for being petulant basically when he it wasn't it wasn't an aggressive back here in the centre circle, but it was enough that it didn't really leave it, the referee any option. Um, should have been two yellows, should have had one game ban, um, but they shouldn't have got to that point where the second yellow um, happened, which may or may not have come into the thinking of the disciplinary committee. I know we've discussed this uh, previously, Kev. Um, uh, it, it, perhaps that came into the thoughts of the disciplinary committee when they decided to rescind his ban completely. And as it turned out, he didn't feature in the game yesterday anyway. So, uh, so if they were going to slim his ban from three games down to one, then that would have been the one he missed. Um, so yeah, uh, I suppose in a sense justice has been done, but that doesn't leave us with any more points than we had at the end of Saturday. So it doesn't make too much. Uh, of a difference. So now we're just looking ahead to the weekend tough game against Leicester. Yeah, and we'll get the preview to that at the back end of the show. But as you mentioned, uh, Tottenham losing to Arsenal. Uh, while I would agree that the goals came while that team had more possession, all three goals kind of came out of nothing in a, sim in, in a different regard. And that none mm. of them came from the most potent attacks. The three goals that were scored were not in the top ten of the best chances had in that match. No. There, there were many better chances, including the Kane scissor kick, which you know was a Gibbs head away from being a sp spectacular goal to get him off the snide this season. Um, yeah, it was a very strange match. There, there was this weird uh, 
pacing to the match where it just seemed very kind of plodding and thought out instead of the kind of emotional affair that you referenced we've seen in years past. And I think it's kind of what led to a lot of the silly yellow cards on both sides in that, you know, people were a little bit behind the pace and then immediately would try to get in. And I, I think that led to a lot of the Arsenal yellow cards. Was a little bit surprised that none of them ended up getting a second yeah, one. Yeah, well, I, I tweeted you, didn't I, yeah. at half time? I, I was very I surprised. See, yeah, I can't see uh, 11 people. Hey, I, I was wrong. Yeah, Good. <laughs> fortunately for you. Um, now, for me, this is one of the first times, genuinely, in, in my history as a Spurs supporter, that I felt somewhat disconnected from the Tottenham fan base on the whole in so much as I don't get to go to matches uh, being in the States. And so a lot of the people venting their frustrations about paying their money to see Tottenham at the lane play what is not our best side against Arsenal and what they viewed as a winnable match in a cup, I I don't have that same kind of fire because it's not Mm. something that I'm experiencing week in and week out. So I'm, I'm not going to discredit that at all because it's, it's not something that I, I can really speak to uh, as it hasn't been my experience. I can understand why people were very frustrated. Um, but we were only frustrated because of how close that match ended up being, right? If that ends up being 3-0, then it's a different thing. But because it ends up being 2-1, because we had leveled, because we held that until the 70-somethingth minute, then we start getting into our heads, oh, it's a draw. Well, <laughs> you can't have draws, but this is going to go... Uh, into extra time and maybe we can win there I I think the closeness of it really impacted the way people viewed it because like I said a lot of people were saying this match was winnable which is not what we were saying when we got the draw you know when you get the draw I'm sure Arsenal fans were the same you're like really them you know other people were playing wall sale and this is what we have to do this is ridiculous especially in, in what round three overall but the first round for Premier League sides so all in all I I I wasn't as frustrated as other people I do agree that Pochettino could have played a stronger lineup, but Arsene Wenger also could have played a stronger lineup. No Utsil, no Sanchez. For us, I do think it's strange that we changed our whole back five from a mm. side that had just kept three clean sheets. And Fazio, I mean, I'm sure you were aware as well, just looked absolutely in shambles. He captained Sevilla to, Euro- to a Europa League title and looked like he didn't know what the sport was. At least four times I can think of that he was in your half and passed it to an Arsenal player. Like, unchallenged. Just directly passed it to them. That was woeful. If, if Toby Alderweireld, or if we had pushed Eric Dyer back, uh, if either of them play at right center back, I think this is a much different conversation than the one we're having right now. And because of how thin that margin is, that's why I think that some of what's happening is overreaction. Can't speak to the money thing, because, again, not that kind of a consumer of the sport. But in terms of decision-making, you know, if that Harry Kane goal goes in, then it's 2-1. And then we're not even having this conversation about how horrible Mauricio Pochettino is as a manager, and he's tactically inept, and how do you start all these B-level players? I, I, I just think that, you know, <laughs> while this is also my job... <laughs> to talk about the overreaction and to sometimes overreact myself. This is not one of those weeks for me. Uh, It was a very strange match, as both of us have already said. And so I'm not coming away from this one uh, as frustrated as some are. Other people saying, well, if we win against City, then that makes this all okay. I think they're two very different situations. And also, I'm not so sure we're going to beat City. Uh, So all in all, I'm not not so sure uh, about everybody's freakouts regarding this match. Some I saw some people saying our season's over. This was our only chance to really win a trophy. 
we made it to the final last year, and none of us really felt like we did because drawing Chelsea felt harsh. Whether or not we could have made it all the way, who who knows? But thinking that that's the only thing we're in when the FA Cup hasn't even started yet, uh, we're still in the Europa League, and you know, yes, we're in a difficult group. But the fact that Monaco and Anderlecht drew while we got the win already puts us in very good standing. So mm. I, I just think there's a whole lot of overreaction happening right now uh, because you know it's a local derby. You have to see those people every day. I'm sure it's your works and your schools and stuff, which makes it hurt, especially considering how close it was. You have that feeling like we could have won, but we didn't. And, you know, on to the next one, uh, in the immortal words of many rappers. <laughs> All right. So kind of carrying on from that overreaction theme, what, what do you guys make of the Capital One Cup as a whole? Is it something that you take very seriously or is it something that you're not looking at as one of the really premier competitions uh, that English clubs are involved in. For, for me, it seems like fans constantly talk about how it's not that big of a competition two times. Uh, before the matches, and if they've lost. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, well, we'll get the next one. Which is why I think it's so interesting that people are overreacting right now. And, you know, clubs constantly talk about how all competitions matter. If you boot up, you know, FIFA 15 or 16, oftentimes in the League Cup, your objective is, eh, do whatever doesn't really matter. Obviously not the same in real life. We've seen some very strong reactions. We've gotten, like I said, the Potch Out Brigade based on his selections. And we saw Liverpool uh, struggle along to 1-1 draw. Uh, was it Carlisle? I-, I believe it was. It uh, was, yeah. Yeah, and so now people are back on their Rodgers Out train. I know it was already rolling, so they're just hopping onto a moving train. Uh, but we're seeing that as well. Martial scores against not not very strong side, and now he's the next Henri again. Uh, so w- what's your take on the competition, and, and how do you think we can solve this dichotomy between kind of underplaying its its existence, but then also overstating the things that happened during it? Yeah, to me, the Capital One, the rosters that other teams come up with are, are not that intriguing to me. I don't think that the level of competition is going to be there, whether it be from the the second, third, fourth, or fifth tier, you know, unless the fifth tier team takes you to a penalty shootout and puts your manager at risk, which it probably has. Uh, you know, a game is played by 11 guys on 11 guys, and anything can happen in, in between those, in between the lines and until the whistle blows. So roster-wise, I'm not, I'm not too much looking into it. You know, Chelsea's got three games in, in two weeks. I think they're going to miss and match players around to, to – fit their needs up top through the middle and rest guys accordingly. Yeah, as far as the Rodgers stuff with everybody freaking out and saying he needs to be sacked, are, are you agreeing with that? What's your what's your view on like the fans' perspective of, you know, if you've already been knocked out, you kind of talk about how meaningless it is, but at the same time, it has such grave implications as people calling for Pochettino's head and obviously for Rodgers as well. You know, Liverpool is one of those clubs that want to be better than they are and they aren't and whether Rodgers is the the fault behind that it's neither here nor there somebody's got to somebody's got to go down for it and Rodgers is very openly said before that if anybody's going to be the manager for Liverpool it's going to be me well he's not doing a fantastic job of what he's got in front of him so unfortunately I think he's going to have a little test period coming up maybe two to three matches and if he if he's still managing by Christmas, I'd be very surprised. 
Yeah, and, and rumors kind of floating around that Ancelotti might be coming in by the weekend, which would be very surprising. I, I agree with you. I think he'll probably get another couple of matches to, to see if he can turn it around. But if not, he could be on his way out soon. I think you're absolutely right what you said before. Um, and I see. I think I remember saying a similar thing last season when Arsenal went out of the League Cup. As long as you're in the League Cup, or the FA Cup for that matter, actually, and to a certain extent the Champions League, um, but obviously it's in in that order of importance, League Cup, FA Cup, Champions League, getting more important as you go along. As long as you're in it, it's a winnable competition and it is important and you do want your side to win. Once you're out, you're not, it's not something that generally, personally, I'm overly worried about. The most upsetting losses uh, I've had recently are the ones in the League Cup final. Um, obviously, first of all, against Chelsea a few years ago, but then more recently against Birmingham City, uh, which was an awful day. Um, maybe because of the circumstances of how Arsenal lost um, with the, the mistake at the end that let them in with no time to kind of get the goal back. But but in te- like last year, we went out to Southampton at this stage, 2-1 in a bit of a drab game. And um, the only good thing about it that I can remember is that Alexis scored a very good free kick. Um, but other than that, I can't say I was overly bothered. In terms of how the clubs are viewing it, I think it's sort of evolved into being a more important competition for the for the big clubs, um, particularly for those in Europe. Uh, reason being, I think, that a few years ago, Arsene Wenger would wholesale change his eleven, maybe save for one or two people, who first-teamers who he was trying to get back to full fitness or just someone who he wanted to be the captain for that game. Uh, but other than that, you would be seeing eight, nine, ten youngsters in the League Cup. Um, in more recent years, that number of people uh, who he's swapping, like, for instance, yesterday, there were a lot of first-team players. Uh, I mean, Giroud is still a first-team player. We had Murta Saka in there. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain is pushing for a first-team place. And even even the players who did play are all players who are pushing for first-team place, even if they don't have it in the league at the moment. People like Kieran Gibbs, who also played really well, and, and, and Matteo Debushi, they're all first-team players caliber players being played in the competition. Um, that might speak to how Arsenal's strength and depth has improved, but I think it also speaks to the fact that Arsene Wenger, it's the only trophy he hasn't won domestically, obviously he hasn't won the Champions League, but it's the only trophy he hasn't won domestically. I'm sure he'd love to add it to his collection. And for the big teams, uh, the, the teams who are playing in Europe, um, it's actually quite a well-timed competition as well because the final is early it's in like march early early march March, late february so if you can get through the group stages of the champions league while rotating your squad and do the same in the league cup then you're not knackering everyone out whereas the fa cup sort of falls from the new year onwards so that you have to rotate more. You'll probably play weaker teams in the FA Cup if you're still in the Champions League. Mm. You can afford to play stronger teams uh, in the League Cup if you're in the Champions League as well and get to a final and win an early trophy and and, and all the confidence that that gives a team. So I think it is something that now that it's been shifted forward, because it didn't used to be this early, it used to be um, much later on in the season. Um, But now that the, the final's a bit earlier, I think it has 
has become a more important team, a more important competition for teams that otherwise would have completely changed their teams because you can win it before you have to start again properly in the Champions League knockout stages um, or the Europa League knockout stages. So, uh, so I, I think in that way it's become more important again. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting point. I remember uh, the, the Andy Carroll year at Liverpool. I'm sure many of them wish they don't. I'm pretty sure they won the, the uh, Capital One Cup. Might have still been the Carlin Cup at the time uh, under Dalgleish. And people were talking about whether or not they'd be able to push on, you know, to reach top four that year. I think that was the year they ended up finished sixth or seventh. Um, nice. And yeah, that, that was the point is that they're already done with that competition. Now they can push on from strength to strength. But I think it can also be a layoff to kind of counter your point in that if you win that trophy so early in the season, it kind of changes your mindset. At least it does for me. You know, I, I didn't grow up in in sports where there are multiple trophies throughout the season you know it happens at the end you've done your job it's the end I I think it must be a very strange thing to win a trophy mid-season and then have to kind of pick yourself up to go on next week I know it's really easy for kind of armchair pundits myself included to uh come out and be like oh yeah it's a great thing you've won a trophy strength to strength you're definitely going to do well much as people were talking about Liverpool that year but you know Tottenham were in the final last season and we, we were very deflated having lost it. But Chelsea also didn't perform particularly well from then to the end of the season either. I mean, they were mm. picking up 1-0 wins. I think the, the Swansea win uh, was kind of the one notable one that was like a really solid team performance. Uh, but other than that, they also kind of struggled to the end. So while I do think you're right that it's nice that fixture-wise you aren't congesting yourself, I think there could be a weird mental aspect at play here in you've already won something how do you continue to strive for more? And to be fair, last season's example might not be a great one because Tottenham were basically already out of the top four chase and Chelsea were pretty much already the title winners. So those weren't teams like trying to crack certain things. So like if, for your example, Arsenal are there and if they won in late February and you're within eight points, let's say, of first, 
maybe then you have that belief that you can catch up into that title chase. But uh, all in all, I, I agree. I agree on the whole that it's it's definitely interesting that it happens early and does clear your fixture schedule. But I'm not sure if it helps the mindset. Um, for Tottenham, I'm not going to come on and say that this competition is meaningless. If we had won it last year, we'd be talking about how important it was. Uh, so I, I will back that up. Already ranted a little bit about kind of the fan reaction. Do I take? Do I wish Pochettino had taken this match more seriously? Uh, yes, to an extent. But equally, I wish we hadn't gotten such a tough draw week one. You were mentioning your depth. We very much wanted to blood in the youngsters in this one. We would have loved to see Josh Onoma and Alex Pritchard had he been fit uh, in this third round. Uh, had we not drawn Arsenal, we have higher hopes. We keep hearing Hugo Lloris and Mauricio Pochettino saying, you know, this is our fifth straight go in the Europa League. We aren't in this to be in it anymore. We're, we're in it to win it, as much as I hate that idiom. Uh, and I, I do genuinely think that's where our attention lies. I think this is where we would have played the youths. And then Europa League would have been the thing that we were really challenging for. But like you said, it matters as long as you're still in the competition. And every Tottenham fan has every right to wish that we were still in this competition. And it would have been nice to have another chance at getting a trophy. But we didn't. It was a tough break. Them's, them's just kind of the breaks. Regarding Liverpool, I think it's interesting that this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, whether or not he still has his job tomorrow, we're already hearing as we're recording... Uh, that there there might be uh, something to these Carlo Ancelotti rumors. Uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> you'll find out tomorrow, probably, by the time you're listening to this. I think that would be a very interesting. But, uh, yeah, this this is a very frustrating thing for me, the, the fact that people constantly understate it and overstate it. It seems like everybody's missing uh, the, the truth here. Uh, but yeah. That's, that's just kind of a thing. Uh, just just kind of as an aside, I meant to ask you this uh, during your intro. I'm assuming you saw Claudio Ranieri's quotes about how Arsenal, he's surprised Arsenal haven't won the league lately. I know that that's kind of a passive thing that goes on in the Arsenal community. I'm not part of that. Uh, are you surprised that you haven't won the league lately? And do you think you have a better chance this season? Um, I can't say I am surprised. Um because we haven't had well depends how how lately you mean um in the years before we signed Urzil, we didn't have the the money to compete with city uh, and chelsea uh, namely um, and manchester united for that matter because we were paying off the stage and we were having to sell our good players um Maybe from the point of view of the style of football that Arsene Wenger plays, you could say maybe it's surprising that we haven't challenged more because when we click, Arsenal really click very well and it's very good to watch. I'm not just saying that as an Arsenal fan. I, I do genuinely think it's some of the best football in the league. But at the same time, I'm aware that the first half of last season or the first third of last season, Chelsea were playing some lovely stuff as well. So it's not limited to Arsenal. Um and it pains me to say that Chelsea play good football. So, or can. Um, so, before then, I was not very surprised. Since then, I mean, in the last three seasons, we seem to have gone for like a tentpole signing. Uh, first of all, it was Ozil, uh, and then it was Alexis, and then this year it was Czech. And a lot of people have complained because we didn't sign the outfield players, but got to live with it now. Um, and for the record, I wasn't one of those that complained. 
And I think that if, again, financial fair play was supposed to be supposed to mean that Arsenal were going to be able to uh, compete on a more level playing field again. That seems to have gone out of the window. And if you look at the players that the other teams, again, were bringing in in those transfer windows, um, I'm not surprised that we haven't won the league. I am surprised that we haven't challenged more. But then last season, we were the best team in the second half of the league, uh, second half of the season. Um, we went on that run. Well, isn't that always the problem that you tend to do it in half seasons? Yeah, exactly. And then the first, like, season before last, when we when we bought Urzil, we were incredible until New Year's, and then the following season we were incredible after New Year's. So we just it, it's it's just a case of consistency and stringing it together, and we haven't been able to do that unfortunately. Um, so in a way, it surprises me. But at the same time, it really doesn't because the Premier League is getting more and more competitive at that top end. And to compete, you have to be spending ridiculous amounts of money. And I really do. Genu- that's not me moaning that we don't. I actually genuinely admire the fact that Arsene Wenger is loyal to people like Jack Wilshire, um, loyal to who are very good players, but or, or Coquelin, for instance. Um, he's come in and he's been brilliant in that defensive midfield role, but but there are lots of people calling for another person to come in and replace him. But Arsene Wenger doesn't want to stunt his growth um, and bring someone in that's going to keep him on the bench again. Uh, You could also, to a certain extent, say the same about the strikers. So I'm not surprised we haven't won it, but I am surprised that we haven't challenged more. Um, So, yeah. And there was something else that I wanted to say, and then you kind of segued. Mm. Um, about Liverpool I would say that I don't think it's the competition that's the reason why he's under pressure now I think it was who they were playing I think if they'd have been playing for instance Leicester um, or Newcastle or if they'd gotten a draw like us where they're playing like Everton or something along those lines yeah if they were playing better opposition then they weren't then they wouldn't have been under pressure. And if they'd have gone out, um, then I think maybe it would have been, caused a few more grumbles because I know that Rodgers is already under pressure. But I, I think the thing that's really pushed it over the edge, if this is the straw that broke the camel's back, it's a pretty big straw because it was League 2 opposition that they couldn't put away. Um, and I'm sorry, but any team who has designs on finishing in the top four, five or six in the Premier League should be able to put out a second string side that will be able to put away a League Two team. And I think that's probably what it is um, to address that point as well. Yeah. And this is kind of a side point, but we just keep catching up to what we've previously said. What you were saying about uh, challenging for the title, I do think is true for you. I think the biggest thing for all three of us that we've just mentioned, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Tottenham, is making sure we're on the right side of third going forward. I know we haven't really had an episode yet where we've talked about the whole coefficient shift, but in the next two years, Tottenham could be very in trouble if England loses its fourth Champions League spot, Mm. which is very much a possibility right now, considering the Italian teams keep crashing down to the Europa League and then doing well, while the English sides tend to stay in the Champions League and not perform well or go too deep into that competition. So that's another thing that we're all going to have to deal with. And I've said this many, many times on this podcast, but I will continue to say it, which is 
Arsenal got knocked out of title contention while building a stadium and fell down to a battle for fourth. Tottenham are just on the fringes of a battle for fourth going into our stadium build. So, kind of tying back into the Capital One Cup, that's why we want to see so many of these youth guys come through. Because those are the people that are going to have to carry us for the next two or three years. And it's awesome that Boris Johnson comes out and keeps talking about how we need to keep Tottenham and Chelsea in London and preferably at Wembley during the the stadium builds. Uh, I think it's great that there's support there. I think the NFL partnership is a great thing. Uh, as a huge NFL fan myself, well, that's interesting. You, you're a England, but also NFL fan. How do you feel about that whole situation? I think it's great. Um, don't see any problem with it. I, I, if they can come up with a, a way where they can ground share and have a, a team in the UK playing regularly, then um, then good for Spurs and good for good for the NFL, I guess. I I, I think it's anything anything that means there's going to be sport generally is good. Would you willingly go to an NFL game at the lane? Uh, <laughs> no. Well, I don't see why not, actually, because I'd willingly go to a football game at the lane, so I guess... Well, if, I don't but see only if Arsenal are playing, I would assume. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you wouldn't just but... be like, oh, sweet, Tottenham Bournemouth, let's roll down. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's unlikely. I probably wouldn't even watch that on TV. Um, but, uh... <laughs> Don't want to give us that TV revenue. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I th- if it was an NFL team, then then I don't see don't see why not. Yeah, I think I think it's good for them. And for what it's worth, I know I've heard you say before a few times because I am a listener as well as a contributor to the podcast. So I do subscribe, which everybody who's listening to this, should. yeah. Also um, subscribe to Fine Pub Sport. Shameless plugs. Yeah, well, there you go. Fine Pub Sport podcast. You were on it this week. It's going on tomorrow. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think that the big difference was when Arsenal Stadium was being built, we didn't have the massive TV revenues that you're going to have while your stadium Especially is Especially next season. Next season yeah. is going to be incredible. Yeah. So I think, again, it's another case of sort of bad timing, really, on Arsenal's part, because if, if um, the TV money had come earlier or if the, station, the stadium rebuild had come later, then we might not have dropped into that battle for fourth, as you say. We might have challenged more. Um, but, um, but as it was, we did it when we did it, and you're doing it when you are. And I don't think your drop-off is going to be as, um, as heavy as ours was. We do seem to be, in recent times, one of the greatest fourth to sixth place teams in history our consistency has been incredible make it through the group stage of the europa league crash out in the first two rounds of that it's it honestly looking back it's incredible that we've had the same season like four years in a row it really genuinely is yeah all right uh now we are going to head into player watch where on thursdays we talk about the best fantasy options at each of our clubs so rob who are the best options for chelsea this week uh, I think if you're going to invest back into the Chelsea stocks, I'd probably start with the, on the defensive end. I wouldn't worry too much about who's going to score because you, you really don't know who's going to show up offensively for this team. There's no cost. You, you can't really rely on Remy if, if you're going to go with three other more experienced fantasy forwards. Through the midfield, yeah, you could bring in Pedro, but what if Hazard does well? And then vice versa with Hazard. If you bring in Hazard, Pedro may do well. So... I think you just go with basically go with the chalk and you bring in Cesar Aspilicueta. You know, matchup wise, it's looking like a clean sheet. He's playing well. Price wise, he's right in that that high. He's right at six, which is a lot for a defenseman. But if you're looking to transfer somebody out in the five five range, 
you probably have enough coins, so you, it would make a make a lateral move for you. I think Aspulqueta is the move this week for if you're bringing in anyone from a Chelsea squad. All right, thanks, Rob. Steve, obviously in fantasy circles, Arsenal players have been kind of a letdown this year. Alexis Sanchez, kind of first among them. Who do you think is going to be your best option this week, and can Alexis turn it around? Well, to your first point, not just in fantasy circles, that Arsenal have some of their players have been disappointing. Did you not hear me earlier when I said that Matthew Flamini, <laughs> one of our joint got top goals? Um, right. Well, it's tough, isn't it? Because I mean, centre backs, centre backs, you don't really want to bring in because unless they get a clean sheet, they're not going to do much else. And we're playing Leicester, who who will probably score a goal. Um, I mean, statistically speaking, Mahrez is scoring eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you could, if you were, if we're going to go for defender, possibly Bellerin, because uh, he does kind of maraud forward a bit. Monreal's a bit more solid. He does come forward, but he doesn't tend to get as, as involved in the goals. Um, midfield, I don't know. Coquelin's a doubt. Um, Cathola's not scoring. Ramsey's not scoring. If we do get a goal, Urzel will probably be involved. And up front, I don't know whether Theo or, or Giroud will start. So basically, don't pick Arsenal players. Um, if you are going to, I would still go for Alexis. Because and what a lot of people don't remember, actually, at the beginning of last season, he started quite slowly then as well. But I distinctly remember he was left on the bench for a Tottenham game. Uh, I don't know if you remember that because he hadn't he hadn't come in and kind of set the world alight, and he needed a bit of a bit of time to bed in. And then once he once he started scoring, he really like he carried he then went on to carry the team for quite a long period of time until it really started gelling in that in that second half of the season. Um, so I would still go for Alexis. He's still in my team. I have faith, um, and he's hit the post about 4.6 million times this season. So at some point, one of them is going to go in, um, and he's always busy and he's always there or thereabouts. So, uh, so yeah, get involved. I think I think Alexis is still is still probably up there with Özil. If you are going to pick an Arsenal player, go for one of those. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, it's not a great week for us. Scored only five goals all season, tied for third worst, alongside your Arsenal side. Uh, also, Manchester City conceded the fewest goals with just two allowed, and those were both last week against West Ham. So, from a matchup standpoint, this is not a great one for the Tottenham attack. Uh, that having been said, however, uh, and you saw it a little bit yesterday in the Arsenal match, Christian Eriksen is not just back because we need him to be back. He's back because he's actually ready to be back. Um, if we're able to do something against Manchester City, it will involve something with Ericsson. We saw him come on after 117 seconds uh, and do what Tottenham midfield to do for 70 minutes against Crystal Palace, get the assist to Hyungman Son for the goal. I think if, if Tottenham are able to do something, it will be Harry Kane kind of pulling the center backs further back, which will give more space to Ericsson, and then he'll be able to create something probably with Son. Because as much as I like Chadley, Chadley has to drive into the box on his own. Hyungman Son is willing to make blind runs, which is a trait that very few Tottenham players have at the moment. It's one of the reasons our attack has been so stagnant lately. It's because Christian Eriksen keeps trying to line up great passes, but nobody makes the runs, and so it has to be sideways or backwards. And then people will run a little bit, and then sideways or backwards, and then they run a little bit more. 
and so it's much more plotting than you know what we were used to during the Modric slash Vandervaart slash Bale years. Uh, but I think with Son, with Clinton and G, who also looked pretty good yesterday, um, I'm pretty confident that that this Tottenham attack will start going. Whether or not it happens against City, not so sure. But if there's a player I like, it's probably Christian Eriksen. Uh, but if you want a safe bet, it's Eric Dyer. He's basically matchup proof. He's getting all of the clean sheet points. You know, <laughs> again, maybe not this week. Um, but the fact that he's playing as a midfielder but getting defensive points is a huge bonus uh, to your fantasy side. So he's worth a look as well. All right, and from there, we will head on to match previews. We're going to be discussing how each of our teams uh, may fare this weekend. Mentioned before, Tottenham versus Manchester City, not a great matchup. Hopefully see our best back five, which at the moment, uh, Lloris, Kyle Walker, Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen, and Ben Davis, who is kind of in the surprise of the season thus far. Uh, all in all, I think that's a perfectly good lineup. Mason should be back in time, if not Della Ali next to Eric Dyer. Son, Erickson, Chadley, Kane. Not super confident about this one. I think we're going to lose 2-1. Uh, but hopefully it ends up being a, at least an interesting watch. I'm probably going to miss the second half as I'll be traveling off to a wedding. Uh, so hopefully we can score some in the first half and then I'll have to check in later on it. All right, Steve, you're up next. We have Arsenal facing Leicester. You already talked about them a little bit in your fantasy segment. Do you think you'll be able to contain the great and mighty Riyad Mahrez? <laughs> um, well, perhaps. Um, uh, it, nobody else has been able to. Um, so we'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, he's in my fantasy as well, so so you know I'm I'm happy either way as long as we score more. Um, I, the thing is we're we're away, um, which I think sort of benefits us at the moment. It's one of it's the third of four away games in a row actually. Um, oh no, it's the fourth of four away games in a row um, because we had Champions League away, then Chelsea away, then Tottenham away, and now Leicester away. And I think that might be quite a good game for Arsenal, actually, because if Leicester are kind of more ready and willing to come out and play, then I think that's the kind of game that Arsenal can exploit by trying to find the space uh, and hit on the counter a little bit, particularly if if Leicester are um, a little bit porous, let's say, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they've been 2-0 down, managed to win the first game, and then they drew last weekend. So... Hopefully they can go 2-0 down and lose this weekend uh, with a late Mares uh, consolation goal. Um, but I, uh, with all due respect to Leicester, they've been fantastic this season, but the bubble has to burst at some point. And at some point, Arsenal's bubble has to form. So I can see it being this weekend that that happens. So, yeah, 2-1 two uh, two, two to Arsenal. Uh, would be my prediction if I had to put a score to it. Rob, we have Chelsea facing Newcastle, who are at the very bottom of the scoring table uh, and also have the fewest shots on target at just 15. Are you feeling pretty good about this match? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a knee knocker. I mean, the only reason that it, it, it may be weird for a Chelsea fan is that, that Mourinho hasn't won at, Nelson, at Newcastle's home stadium. So that's the only thing that he struggles at Newcastle. That's the only thing that you could put on this game to say, well, there's always that. But if you look at the betting odds for this game, I don't think anybody is even remotely caring about that. I think Chelsea runs away with this game three, three, four to one, 
three, four, and nil. Mm. You think you, you you think you're gonna keep that clean sheet? I yeah, I think they do. I I don't think Newcastle has enough going forward, and what they have going forward isn't even scary for me. You know, uh, the only thing that really scares me is if if anybody who is a Blues fan watched any of the Walsall game, uh, they actually scouted Chelsea very well because Ivanovic started the game and every attack came on his side of the field. Mm. And Mourinho actually countered that by moving Ramirez over to that side to give him a little more defensive help. And then he actually flip-flopped Remy and Kennedy so Kennedy was on that side, so he had an extra defensor, defensive guy, defensive-minded player on that side of the pitch as well. So obviously, what we know to be true, other teams are actually knowing it as well that that they're attacking Branislav Ivanovic, which in the past basically sounds like an oxymoron, but this year, it's it's completely positive. It's completely true. You have this basically what teams have to do, because he's looking very vulnerable on that side. All right, well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. If you have any projects you'd like to plug or would like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Well, I'm on soccer.rasball.com, or you can get me on Twitter at, at Smokey underscore Lugie. That's L-O-O-G-Y. Or you can catch me uh, on my weekly FPL podcast on at FPL Index. And I don't have any side projects. I'm, I'm kind of a that's, – that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, I am Steve. As, as you know, I'm an Arsenal fan, but I also uh, run findpubsport.com, which you can find on Facebook at findpubsport and uh, on Twitter at findpubsport. Uh, for fans of all sports, not just football, uh, and we have our own podcast as well, which stars uh, our very own uh, Kevin DeVries this week. So do check that out because that's quite good fun. Yeah, and I am your host, Kevin DeVries, as he just said. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my writings over on blog.playtaga.com, where I cover Crystal Palace, Tottenham, and Sunderland. And I'm pretty sure I say those in a different order every time, so just, I guess, deal with it. I also have a weekly article uh, that goes up over on theeaglesbeak.com, where I discuss player price points and who you can easily bring in and drop from your sides. also host the FPL Roundtable podcast, which comes out Thursday morning, so be sure to give that a listen as well. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.